Love the nouns, love the pronouns, impersonal and personal. Love the words from ELFM. So you're listening to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM at Chapel FM Arts Centre. Now this is the first Love the Words of the new broadcasting season here in the uh, in September 2022. So really looking forward to what's coming up over the next few months, but particularly to this episode because we have a writer, poet, educator and activist very much a, a local person, Leeds Bradford based, and fantastic to have her here today. So I'm at Manta Khan. Hi. Hi, Sarah. It's really lovely to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Good. And you've just been looking around Chapel FM. Yeah, I love it. I had never been here before and I'm absolutely blown away. What do you think? I think it's gorgeous. I think it's um it's one of those spaces that it's like if I'd known about if I knew it was here, it's one of those that I would have been coming here. And I hope, yeah, I hope we can well, we've already been chatting about doing stuff, haven't we? So. It would be lovely to have you here. I know you will talk about the different aspects of of stuff that you do, but you do work with young people yeah. a lot and uh, we do that obviously here. But it'd be great to have you here to do that. But uh yeah, well we're we're gonna hit you you've got many aspects of your <laughs> of your work. Um, but yeah, so what? Just just to begin with, I mean, there are four things there on the back of the book. I've got your book here, Tangled in Terror, Uprooting Islamophobia, and uh, which was published this just year. This year, yeah, March. This March, year, yeah. which uh, I've been reading, been gripping actually, Thank really you. enjoying it. Um, but yeah, writer, poet, educator, and activist. If you if you're at a kind of um, a, at a sort of social event, oh god, um, and people ask you what you do, look the other way, walk away. No, I, I say I think writer is the one I feel comfortable with. Uh, I think, and I think everything I do, it come it stems from writing or it's using writing, or it's helping other people to write. Um, so I think writing's the one I feel safest with, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And people generally know what a writer... Well, they think well, they know yeah. what a writer is, <laughs> although there are lots of different kinds. I mean, what does... I mean, uh, probably f- this, is a, this is a question that's not going to be appropriate because it wouldn't necessarily be for me either because <laughs> we, we do different things. Mm. And, but... What's that? What's a week look like for you in any in any sort of normal? If yeah. there's such a thing, week. What might kind That's of thing a good might... question. That's a good question. I think there's a, yeah, it's probably a good question because I think it does capture the range. So I think um, right now I'm doing a couple of different things. So I've got um, I'm the or one of the writers in residence at the Leeds Playhouse. So one and maybe one and a half days a week I'll be in the Playhouse, um, kind of. Maybe, I mean, I've done a range of things, so maybe sitting in rehearsals. What is a rehearsal? For me, that was a completely new thing. What happens in a rehearsal? Um, What does the director do? What does a writer do? Or even just sitting in meetings, seeing how does work get commissioned or reading scripts or watching plays. Um, So that's kind of like, you know, being a working writer, I guess, attached to a building. Um, Then usually maybe there'll be a day in the week where I'll be doing a creative writing workshop. So maybe I go into a school or maybe I go into a community centre or something. And that's a lot more... I mean, to be honest, I think that's probably the thing I love the most, like facilitating spaces for other people to write and just kind of, you know, having... I think my favourite thing is when you come across people who say, I've not got a creative bone in my body, I hate writing, I can't do it. And then, you know, two hours later, they've got like this gorgeous poem or at least something that's true to them and their narrative. Um, And I think that storytelling aspect is just something that, you know, as humankind (laughs) will never get old for us. Um, And what else then? Yeah, like, I I guess, the you know, maybe writing for maybe a particular project. Um, At the moment, I've got some funding to write, you know, like a really, it's like a very specific project that I'm working on. Um, And then, yeah, it feels like the rest of the time is just filled with emails and admin, to be honest with you. I think that's that's the life of a writer Mm -hmm. Um, or sitting at your screen kind of hoping that you're coming up with something, um, reading. Um, it's like yeah, and, and maybe like every you know every now and then I'll have a I'll do a, like a poetry reading or a performance. Um, mm. And again, I love that. I think that's kind of my that's a different difference to the workshops. But I love it in a way of like I think to this day, poetry sharing your word through the spoken word is it has a magic to it that I don't think anything else has. Talking of which. It'd be very nice to hear a poem. Oh, perfect. What, what a segue. <laughs> you shut up there. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to share this one and maybe I can tell you a bit about it afterwards. Yeah. 
Um, So it's called This Is Not A Humanising Poem. Some poems force you to write them. The way sirens force their way through window panes in the night and you can't shut out the news, even when you try. Write a humanising poem, my pen and paper goad me. Show them how wrong their preconceptions are. Be relatable. Write something upbeat for a change. Crack a smile. Tell them how you also cry at the end of Toy Story 3 and you're just as capable of bantering about the weather in the post office queue. Like everyone, you have no idea how to make the perfect amount of pasta still. Feed them stories of stoic humour. Make a reference to childhood. Tell an anecdote about being frugal. Mention the X factor. Be domestic, successful, add layers. Tell them you know brown boys who cry. About the sides of Assad's, Amir's and Hassan's they don't know. The complex inner worlds of Samayas and Aisha's. Tell them comedies as well as tragedies. How full of life we are. How full of love. But no. I put my pen down. I will not let that poem force me to write it because it is not the poem I want to write. It is the poem I have been reduced to. Reduced to proving my life is human because it is relatable. Valuable because it is recognisable. But good GCSEs, family and childhood memories are not the only things that count as a life. Living is. So this will not be a Muslims are like us poem. I refuse to be respectable. Instead, love us when we're lazy. Love us when we're poor. Love us in our back-to-backs, council estates, depressed, unwashed and weeping. Love us high as kites, unemployed, joyriding, time-wasting, failing at school. Love us filthy, without the right colour passports, without the right-sounding English. Love us silent, unapologising, shopping in Poundland, skiving off school, homeless, unsure, sometimes violent. Love us when we aren't athletes, when we don't bake cakes, when we don't offer our homes or free taxi rides after the event, when we're wretched, suicidal, naked and contributing nothing. Love us then, because if you need me to prove my humanity, I'm not the one that's not human. My mother texts me too after BBC News alerts. Are you safe? Let me know you're home okay. And she means safe from the incident, yes, but also from the after effects. So sometimes I wonder, which days of the week might I count as liberal and which moments of forehead to the ground am I conservative? I wonder, when you buy bombs, is there a clear difference between the deadly ones that kill and the heroic ones which scatter democracy? Isn't it really guilty until proven innocent? How can we kill in the name of saving lives? How can we illegally detain in the name of maintaining the law? I can't write it. I put my pen away. I can't, I won't write it. Is this radical? Am I radical? Because there is nowhere else left to exist now. Great stuff. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, really enjoyed that. Cheers. And, uh, yeah. So that poem, tell us a little yeah. about the provenance of that and how it came to be and also what, what effect it had on you because I know yeah. that was an important poem for you. Yeah, so I sort of talk about this poem as the poem that changed my life, um, which maybe sounds a bit dramatic, but um, I mean, so for context, I wrote it back in 2017 um, and what happened was I had... Uh, what's the word, entered the National Roundhouse Poetry Slam. So this is a poetry slam. It's a, you know, essentially a poetry competition. And I'd got through to the final round. So the, I think the final maybe was on the Friday. Um, and in that week, uh, the London Bridge attack happened. Um, so that was, for anyone who doesn't remember, that was a, a terrorist attack took place in London. I was living in London at the time. I was studying there. And it felt really... You know, put yourself in my shoes, right? You're kind of aware that you're going to be standing on a stage on the Friday. You know, I, I wear a hijab. I'm very visibly, obviously, a Muslim person. And I've just, I felt this real sense of, oh, gosh, like, I'm going to stand up there. And I and I, I feel like I almost have to address this elephant in the room kind of thing. But at the same time, I don't I don't want to. And so, the, the, you know, the poem is really very genuine in the sense that I I sat I remember sitting in Regent's Park writing so many versions of a poem and I was like what what am I writing I'm writing an apology and how is that how has that happened and so you know this this version of the poem to be honest with you I was a bit I was I was unsure how it would land I wasn't sure kind of what the reception would be um but actually um you know it went down really really well um I placed runner-up but more interestingly the when they released the videos 
um, this poem went viral. So it got like two million views. And, and I, I was absolutely astounded by that. And I think it really just spoke to, I mean, what people say, I guess, to this day is that it articulated something that lots of people feel and know. But, you know, I don't think we really get to have the conversation around, yeah, what, why is it that there are certain conditions placed on seeing certain people as human? Um, and in the wake of, you know, violence that we associate with certain people or groups of people, um, kind of how people are made to feel. So on the back of it then going viral, um, you know, it was interesting because pe pe people started reaching out to me saying, you know, do you want to come perform some poetry here, there? And I, I always say I kind of had to um, just, you know, go go along with it and say, yeah, yeah, I've got more, po you know, quickly write more poems and try try to keep up with it. Um, but it, it did change things because I, I think up till then I never really realised that poetry... I think two things. One was I was studying at the time, like I mentioned, and my a master's dissertation was on, on the same topic, broadly, you could say, as the poem. And I always think to myself, to this day, you know, probably two, maybe three people will read that dissertation. <laughs> and two million, you know, maybe plus people have, have heard this poem. And that, to me, just shows you the power of poetry and the power of you know, that, that there's something in that moment of standing before people, sharing your truth, sharing something maybe vulnerable, something maybe difficult, and letting it land with people. And I think that, I, I honestly think that does something that n nothing else can do. And you know, maybe I'm an evangelist for poetry, but yeah, I, I do think that. So that there was that impact. And then the other thing was just, I didn't know you could be a writer. I didn't know that was like a, a job or like something you could do seriously you know I thought it's like a hobby we could, you can all be writers as a hobby but you can't do that seriously and thankfully this opened up loads of opportunities for me and um you know I think it also showed me that writing can do something really serious in the world well absolutely and I think I really loved your uh, kind of evangelism about poetry because I share it but I think it's something about the compression of poetry uh, the fact that you've managed within that poem to compress perhaps everything that you were also yeah. writing in another part of your life but you also did it with wit and with grace as well and I think that's that's the other thing about the poem yeah. you know I it moved me but also amused me right. and I think that's uh, that's a wonderful thing you can do in a poem that's and in a very short space of time yeah. you know, three or four minutes yeah as you absolutely say. so yeah absolutely I mean in terms of language and words did mm. that did your interest in language and words and communicating start earlier than that oh good question um I like the way you phrase that because people often ask you like you know po about poetry specifically and I always kind of think mm, I, did, I never really enjoyed poetry at school or whatever mm. but actually you know, now you mention it, I think I, I, <laughs> I, thought, I thought Matilda was like my role model growing up. And I, I, I did. I used to go to um, Oakwood Library. I'm sure people know it mm. um, with a box, a little plastic box, one of those little Ikea boxes. And I would fill the box with books. And I, I loved reading. I really did. Um, and I think, um, yeah, I think I, I kind of always would be writing things down. I, th I think maybe I'm somebody who, to this day probably, I struggle to articulate in words sometimes what I'm feeling and as it, in the moment. And I'm someone who still to this day has to journal to understand how am I feeling, what's going on inside my head. So I think that probably there's something that, yeah, there is something that writing in particular does for me. Um, but yeah, I've, I've always loved reading. And I think if you love reading, you, you, you inevitably kind of want to try it, don't you? You want to see if you can... Because if you're moved, I think you want to see, can, can I also move people, right? Um, maybe that's part of it. Yeah. I think it's also what you were saying about the whole thing about... we also got Henry here in the uh, studio, who's actually... Hello. Taking... <laughs> Henry Raby. <laughs> How are you, Henry? Hello. Yeah, I'm all right, thanks. Yeah. Who's also a writer, yeah. so he would know what we're talking about. Yeah, but... words are great. <laughs> Is that Big your fun. contribution? Thank you. Those yeah. words were few, but, but powerful. I, I think what I, I was struck by in Zahima's uh, story about, you know, poets go viral these days, right? And you join the, the club of the... Um, of the Holly McNishes and Mark Grists and um, and uh, uh, another poet whose name I've forgotten, so it didn't go that viral, I guess. <laughs> but, like, that's something that comes with, obviously, lots of negative stuff, but also to look on the positive that you're reaching, like... To, how, how could a poet reach two million people right. before the age of the uh, before the internet before youtube and we have to navigate that because that's a lot of those two million people are probably not very nice people but you're still like that's a platform that um 
yeah, has like ex- exploded poetry out into into the mainstream. Or maybe not even the mainstream. Maybe it's two million people on the fringes, but two million people that need that poem. Two million people. Mm, that's a pretty good point. To come back to what you to what you were talking about in terms of writing and journal. Yeah. You know the whole thing about working stuff out. Yes. And, you know, and I think that's a great thing, isn't it, about writing? And yeah. I think, oh, you know, well, I've written diaries and journals yeah, yeah. all my life really oh, there's good. something about yeah sure, it's yeah. not just you <laughs> <laughs> um, I still do Great. but it's it, it's kind of yeah it is about writing it's about working something out as you as you write something about that mm. and I think the great thing of Something I really liked about the poem that you read was that it felt like you were, and I got the image of you sitting in the park yeah. reading it on the bench. Yeah. You know that you were working it out. Oh, and it had, even even now, I mean, obviously it's five years old, but it's still as you were reading it, it felt like you were working out those yeah. issues. Yeah. And I think that's something you might not have been aware that you were doing. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But actually, you travel. No, you're well, absolutely as a listener, right. You're, tra- you're traveling with it. You're absolutely right, and I do think actually that's something. Even when I do poetry workshops, kind of, you know, I'm not writing, but I'm trying to help other people to write. I think that's something that I I still find that really useful, that sometimes the the poem you want to write isn't, you're not, you're not going to be able to write it the first time. It's mm. going to be actually through figuring out why this isn't what you wanted to write, that you get to the poem you want to write. And, and I have quite a few poems that <laughs> are actually about not being able to write what I wanted to write about. Mm. And it's funny because... You'd think that, I mean, saying that out loud sounds like a terrible premise for a poem, like you've written about not being able to write something. But actually, I think it is, yeah, absolutely what you said, working things out. And, and I do, and I, and I, I think to this day, like that particular poem, the, the learning that I made in that or the, the lesson I took from that, it kind of underpins a lot of the work that I do in terms of like the activism and stuff and a lot of my work around Islamophobia. It's something that it, I think that poem just really helped me to, you know, like you say, in a succinct way, one sentence, it was like, oh, if you need me to prove my humanity, something really wrong has happened, you know? And then yeah. that's something I couldn't have articulated prior to trying to write this poem. So, yeah, mm. you're absolutely right. Do you frame a poem in your head at all? Or is it just when you put pen to paper or, or mm, fingers to keyboard? You know, I think a lot of my... I think the, po- the poems I enjoy the most of mine um, are ones where it's almost like, yeah, I think it's, pe- it's pen to paper, but it's also, I think the particular emotion is like, just that classic thing, of, oh, I wish I'd said this in response, or sometimes, yeah, a lot of them, they're, they're kind of responses to things, I would say, so maybe watching a TV show that's like, oh, this is ridiculous, I can't deal with this narrative, I need to get this down, or, you know, headline that's just, like, preposterous, and I need to... Um, but, yeah, writing it down, I don't know, in my head, I can't keep things in my head very long, uh, so I think I have to just immediately write it. I mean, iPhone notes as well, but, yeah, pen and paper is uh, is my preferred medium. <laughs> yeah, you can't beat it, really. <laughs> Let's have a, just a, a musical break, just give you a bit of a chance to have, you have a sip of tea. It's a track that you chose... Uh, by Loki, oh, I don't know anything about. Do you want to just talk about this track at all? Yeah, sure. Um, so Loki's a amazing kind of political activist rapper, um, and yeah, this particular track, I guess, I guess it speaks to the themes of the poem um, as well. Um, but yeah, I think it also speaks to the fact that art can be really um, disruptive and politically powerful sometimes, and especially at times when we don't necessarily have the capacity to organise and resist in the ways we would like. Um, art actually can can do something really powerful I think and this is a good example of that so we must ask ourselves what is the dictionary definition of terrorism the systematic use of terror especially as a means of coercion but what is terror According to the dictionary I hold in my hand, terror is violent or destructive acts such as bombing committed by groups in order to intimidate a population or government into granting their demands. So what's a terrorist? Insulting my intelligence Oh, how these people judge It's 
seems like the rackheads and packies are worrying your dad But your dad's favourite food is curry and kebab It's funny but it's sad how they make your mummy hurry with her bags Rather read the sun and study all the facts Tell me, what's the bigger threat to human society? BAE systems or homemade IEDs, remote control drones Killing off human lives or man with homemade bomb Committing suicide, I know you were terrified When you saw the towers fall, it's all terror But some forms are more powerful, it seems nuts How could there be such agony when more Israelis die from peanut allergies? It's like the definition didn't ever exist I guess it's all just dependent who your nemesis is Irrelevant how eloquent the rhetoric peddler is they're telling fibs now, tell us who the terrorist is They're calling me a terrorist Like they don't know who the terrorist When they put it on me, I tell them this I'm all about peace and love They're calling me a terrorist Like they don't know who the terrorist Insulting my intelligence Oh, how these people judge Look, Mumbo was democracy, Mossadegh was democracy Hypocrisy, it bothers me Call you terrorists if you don't want to be a colony Refuse to bow down to a policy of robberies Terrorism, my lyrics When more Vietnam vets killed themselves after the war Than died in it, this is very basic One nation in the world has over a thousand military bases They say it's religion, when clearly it isn't It's not just Muslims that oppose your imperialism Is Hugo Chavez a Muslim? Nah, I didn't think so Is Castro a Muslim? Nah, I didn't think so It's like the definition didn't ever exist I guess it's all just dependent who your nemesis is Irrelevant how eloquent the rhetoric peddler is They're telling fibs now, tell us who the terrorist is They're calling me a terrorist Like they don't know who the terrorist is When they put it on me, I tell them this I'm all about peace and love They're calling me a terrorist Like they don't know who the terrorist is Insulting my intelligence Oh, how So you're listening to Love the Words live at Chapel FM Art Centre on East Leeds FM. It's the first Love the Words of this new season. And we're talking to Samaya Manzor Khan, the poet and dramatist as well, writer, um, educator. We all lots of different aspects of your work. And it's it's really lovely to hear about them all. Let's we've talked a bit about your poetry and we've heard a fantastic poem and I'd really love to hear another poem a bit later on if you don't mind. But also, um, since you are a writer in residence at the moment or one of the writers in residence at the Playhouse, it'd be great to hear about that yeah. and how what you're getting out of that and what you're kind of yeah, you said you were sort of you were there kind of in meetings, looking yeah. at how work is commissioned and all the rest of it. So what aspects of it are you enjoying most at the moment? Yeah, great question. I mean, so for context, I don't theatre is not something that I've kind of grown up thinking, Oh, I'd love to, you know, be in theatre or write for theatre. And to be honest, you know, probably like a lot of people only really experience theatre on school trips and things like that. Um, so it was a it was a something that I was like, Oh, okay, it's you know, this seems like a novel thing to try out but I do think there's an obvious you know there's an obvious connection between performing your own work and that you know poetry and theatre and, and in the past I had been asked to write you know short maybe like theatrical pieces for for different theatres but this was the first time where it was like 
you know, do you want to come into the building, kind of see what the whole process is? Because I think my, my thing when I went in was, I understand writing that bit I, I get. Once you've sent an email to the theatre with your writing and I have no idea what happens next. Mm. And so it's been really interesting. I think, to be honest, you're asking me about my favourite part, but I think I've learned, I learned a lot of things just from absorbing and observing. And, and so, like I say, sitting in meetings where you you kind of see, oh, these are the, these are the kind of conversations people have about writers' work, you know, at a level of pro, what gets programmed for the Christmas, what gets programmed for spring. And um, even like, it's really helpful to see the kind of feedback that other writers get on their work. So, oh, okay, so, the, you know, I read a script and these are the things, thoughts I have, but then somebody who, you know, is a dramaturg and their job is really to, like, improve scripts, what do they say? Um, so that's great. And then rehearsal's absolutely fascinating because as a writer, I think you can be so isolated in what you do. You know, you're just on your own, you know, I tend to be writing. But now suddenly... Uh, you know, this script is it's t it turns into something else, I guess, which is something I find really fascinating, quite scary as well, I would say. But, you know, you have like five, six, seven, however many people are in the cast, people, uh, you know, t taking it apart. And I, in fact, we even did um, an R&D, a research and development, just two days on, on a script that I've written. And it was really surreal, actually, to have all these people kind of share kind of psychoanalyzing your characters you know um you know why does she say this at this state you know why do we think he's acted like that and how's this response and then you have actors trying to bring that to life and you realize that maybe and, and maybe this is just my maybe to me it's strange as a writer but kind of seeing how actually it's everything you don't write as well that is really important in a play and it's everything that you know the actors can interpret however they want to and you know if you you don't. You won't necessarily write in the body language, but then they might. They could make a line completely different, or more powerful, or less powerful, based on that. So, that's some of the stuff. And then I, and I guess one of the things that's part of the role as well is, um, you know, being in community. So, like, um, doing writing workshops was something that was was always supposed to be part of the residency. And recently, um, with a couple of like um, local organisations and people in Hare Hills in particular, we've been putting together. A series of workshops um and the idea behind this was you know creative writing is great in general and everyone should get the opportunity to write but also specifically that um you know hair hills um is the story of hair hills i guess is told by many people politicians media um in a in a very particular light a very negative light and it was we wanted to create a chance for people to to use writing to actually tell their versions of that story you know what is hair hills to to you um and it doesn't have, not to say that it has to be a positive story right and like even in the workshops we've done so far it is it's a mixed bag but i think it's there's something uh, unfair about people who aren't from a place telling that story and that's the difference and so that's been really fun as well just kind of within that role of of, of being resident writer just going around and kind of getting to help other people to articulate things um but also i think really trying to link up a, a big institution like a big theater with you know people who do only live so close by right like even myself i've you know always lived close to the playhouse but it's not something that you you don't necessarily think of of theaters as places that you can go to just hang out or have a coffee or whatever so i think a big part of of the residency has also just been for myself and, and for others to kind of maybe change the relationship that i had with it with the building like that and um, even just things like, you know, we've got a, a permanent prayer room in the playhouse now. And that's something really like that I would never have, I don't, you know, but for me, that makes it really a much more accessible building that I can just nip into in the middle of the day. Um, so, yeah, it's been it's been a really interesting thing. I mean, it'll, it'll come to an end in November now. It's been a full year. But, yeah, I've, I've enjoyed it a lot. And are you, are you writing? You say you've obviously been workshopping some yeah. of the script you work you've, you've been you've been writing or working on is that something that will come to fruition by the end of the residency well so hopefully i mean yeah i think that nothing's set in stone because so in a way the nice thing about the residency was it's not a commission so often you kind of have to write something this was like you don't have to write something i have written something and i think what we might do is have some sort of sharing or something you know it's, i don't think i'll finish i don't think it'll be a this is the final play but I hope it, yeah it, it does mean that this is something that you know the Playhouse are interested in and that I mm. have developed with them so we'll see we'll see but I'm I, think, really interested I think you can to watch this space yeah I'm really interested to know more but I'm, I'm cherry about asking you too much about it yeah. I know <laughs> if you're in the middle of writing something it's something I'll be very unsuccinct about because <laughs> you know when you're just like in the middle of an idea and you're like well it's kind of about this and it's kind of about that <laughs> yeah well that's okay but it also might sometimes it takes the energy out of the writing so I'm not going to ask you. you too much but I but it would be really lovely 
to if there is a public showing. For sure, there, yeah, yeah. Know. Well, if you want to do one here. Oh, okay. No, seriously. Okay. I know we got a playhouse, but you know we've no, always. No. <laughs> <laughs> I might want to go there, but hey. why not? No. Um, but we've That's we have got them. We've also talked about the idea of maybe sharing some of the whole hosting, some of the writing you've been doing in Hair Hills yeah. here in That'd writing be on air. Theme of writing on air this year is home, so perfect. Uh, that will be really, really good yeah, to do. Yeah, I think we'll definitely do that. But um, yeah, and is it is it, is it a, is like a play? The thing you're working. I'm, I'm sorry, it I can't is, resist it is, asking it's a t- you. Yeah, I, in a nutshell, it's a two, so what they call a two-hander. So that just means there's two characters, um, and it's uh, essentially about friendship. It's it's charting a friendship between two people between the ages of eighteen and twenty-three. I guess twenty-two, twenty-three, um, and I guess just showing how. I think we've all had it probably in different ways and different forms in our lives that for how when the world starts to seep into a friendship and you start to realize you're not just you know you're not just kids anymore right you you actually in the world you have you're given identity suddenly there are things you're associated with in different ways and how that can kind of fracture the friendship so it's just it's just a very kind of um honest and open friendship between um they're both from the north and they both go, they go down south to study and it's um, a white boy from Durham and a Pakistani Muslim girl from Bradford. And yeah, it's just about how, you know, they've got a very sincere and genuine friendship, but then actually they realise, you know, there's so many ways the world sees them differently and how does that affect their friendship? Does it? Can they hold on to the friendship or, or does the world kind of, yeah. Mm. yeah it's, and then I guess it's a live question as well that I have in real life. So these are questions that are interesting to me. Sounds great. Yeah, Thank you. Looking forward to it. Um, one thing we haven't looked at yet or talked about is this book, which I'm holding. Yes. So helpfully on the radio, you can you can hear me sort of you know sort of <laughs> flicking it around. Uh, it's called Tangled in Terror: Uprooting Islamophobia. I took it on the train down to London. I have to admit that I took a novel as well because I thought. This looks it's, 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 I, I might, it's, but actually, I've read it all the way down. Oh, I, I found it gripping. So oh, it's good. it's a I really really. That's really good to hear. Yeah, it's a, it's a really. I didn't want it to book. feel like a heavy and dense book because the title you could feel like it's like a oh is am I at school? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but I'm glad to hear that it didn't feel like. No, that. it didn't feel like that. And I, uh, so tell us a bit about this book. Yeah. And it, you, I mean, it's it's a huge achievement in terms. Of, I mean, it's, it's a it's a substantial piece of work. I'm, yeah Yeah, thank you yeah i mean so it's not a hugely long book um and the idea of the so for context there's a series right the series is part of um pluto press series called outspoken and basically i think their idea for this series was you get um you know not it's deliberately not academics you get people who um you know like writing or do write but also who kind of maybe are in some sense activists and that can you know that's a broad in the broad sense of the term um to write about certain topics in a way that you know when you usually get an introductory book it kind of assumes that we can't i have to be re- i have to treat you like you don't know anything and then i'm going to bring you in, and then in a you know 20 pages time i'm going to explain the really hard stuff i think the idea of this series was uh, right right from the start we're going to just go in with a really like rigorous analysis and i trust and believe that people are there and they can understand mm-hmm. stuff so they'd approached me and just said you know do you, would you be interested in writing about islamophobia and the reason that I was is that I actually just realised I don't think that I don't think there are any kind of accessible books for you know just like the layperson like me and you to read that are not just limited to you know I think a lot of the narratives about Islamophobia out there are kind of oh you know it's it's, it's a mean thing it's like some people are prejudiced and they kind of have stereotypes about Muslims and that's not very nice but you know the rest of us we 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 don't we're not Islamophobic so it's fine and. I just was like, I, think, I just felt like that's not a very satisfactory analysis of actually the way I understand Islamophobia is that it's something, um, I suppose, a lot more sinister because it's got a lot deeper roots and that it's actually part of a historical process. The way that Muslims are seen today, it's not just by, you know, kind of people on the fringes, but it's actually the, the way the government perceives Muslim and the way that that's codified into laws, into, you know, policies and strategies and that it affects people across the world, it affects people at the border, it affects people at school, in hospital. And so I, I kind of felt like, you know what, this is a book that deserves to be written. Um, even just, and I think I say in the, in the introduction, when I do even things like poetry workshops with, with kids, um, kind of just hearing, you know, young Muslim children talking about well, their poems are just all about kind of disproving stereotypes about them. And I kind of thought, oh, that's, you You know, you're 11 years old. That's not the poem you should be writing. You should be writing about anything and everything. And so, you know, I think there's the the connection as well there to kind of just 
I guess in a way, the book, yes, it's about Islamophobia, but it is also, if I <laughs> may be so bold, it, I think it is really also about what is another world that we could work towards? You know, what this is, this is one manifestation of a problem in a world that has actually many problems, you know, <laughs> a lot of things going on. And I think Islamophobia is connected to those things. I wanted to, it to be that this is not a distinct issue. It's not just, because I think it's easy sometimes, you know, when you hear about something that you kind of feel doesn't affect me like do I need you know I'm sure people there is enough people worrying about this I don't really need to get on board um but I wanted to kind of say actually the way we understand Islamophobia it is also linked to questions of you know whether if you care about um you know border violence if you care about climate change if you care about um whatever you know education that all these things are linked so yeah that was the sort of project and then it was just about how do you break this down into kind of 10 themes and how do you um how do you, yeah, research and stuff. And I mean, the, the fun parts were kind of, there's testimonies in here from people and kind of interviewing people, talking to people. That was really important to me to kind of actually put put people's voices in the book um, and, and keep it accessible. It is accessible and it's also very powerful and mm. moving in times. And uh, it's radical in the sense that you, 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 don't, you, 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 you look at some of the things that, I don't know, government is doing, if you like. Yeah. And they look... And you make them very well. They're piecemeal, really, is yeah. what you're saying. Is it? There's a, a the roots need yeah. to be. We need to be look pulling everything up, really, right. and I th and everything being connected, which I totally get. And it was very very powerful oh, so case glad. for that. And I'd really it'd be great if you could read. I mean, obviously, it's hard to to pick a paragraph, but the very final paragraph of the book, which I found very very strong. So if thank you. you. Yeah, no, that. I'm glad you picked that one out. It's, it's one that I hope yeah will resonate with people. So the final paragraph I say, I have, tried to, I have tried to write primarily to demonstrate that this world order is not accidental. It had a beginning and it has beneficiaries, therefore it can be ended, uprooted and upturned. Indeed, the only knowledge I hold as absolute truth is that there is no earthly authority that cannot be upturned. The Zapatistas, a revolutionary indigenous people who seek liberation from the Mexican state, refer to this world system as the long night of 500 years that has robbed them of humanity and autonomy. A night of 500 years cannot be expected to come to an end in five years or even 50. Perhaps it is not within our generational power to draw the day out of a night so long. But it is within our power to struggle, demand, believe in and pray for it so that someday, even if we do not live to see it, others may witness a daybreak. Yeah, I mean, that's lovely. I mean, that, I felt that that's where you, the poets came through yeah, as well. I, I, think draw, so. I love the drawing the day out of a yeah. night so long. It's a great phrase. Oh, thank you. And, and actually, that's just, I've just reminded myself that the book does now actually exist as an audio book. Um, so I got to record the whole thing in my own <laughs> dulcet tones. Um, wow. So, you know, for anybody who uh, just can't get enough, uh, yeah, there, there's, there's an audio book version, which I hope makes it more accessible as well. And yeah. I know my own mum has, uh, you know, is just like much more of an audio person than a. Yeah sitting down with a book person so yeah great well it's 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 called tangled in terror uprooting islamophobia and it's published by pluto in their outspoken series and books that dissent which is that that's the series and yes. that's what this, that's what it that series is about and some plenty of stuff it's really interesting once you start looking at what else they publish yeah yeah that, the, that series is great actually really yeah. recommend all the books really good so we're going to hear your final track, and then I'd just come back to you for another poem, if you don't mind. Yeah, that's fine. So this one is uh, by Phil Ox. Do yes. you want to just tell us about that? At all? Uh, yeah, I think this poem uh, sort of sums up... Uh, I suppose you sort of just said yourself that the that I think my politics are quite radical in what I mean by that, and I think what you mean is, you know, trying to get to the root of issues and, and really... Um, yeah, not looking for reform. And I think this this uh, this book, this song, is, is sort of a parody of, um, you know... A liberal type of politics where we just seek to kind of adjust things a little bit, um, you know, get a seat at the table. Um, and yeah, so I think I think it speaks for itself. In every American community, you have varying shades of political opinion. One of the shadiest of these is the liberals. An outspoken group on many subjects. <clears throat> 10 degrees to the left of center in good times. 10 degrees to the right of center if it affects them personally.
So here then is a lesson in safe logic. I cried when they shot Medgar Evers. Tears ran down my spine. And I cried when they shot Mr. Kennedy. As though I'd lost a father of mine. But Malcolm X got what was coming. He got what he asked for this time. So love me, love me, love me. I'm a liberal. Get it? <laughs> I go to civil rights rallies and I put down the old DAR. DAR, that's the dykes of the American Revolution. <laughs> I love Harry and Sidney and Sammy. I hope every colored boy becomes a star. But don't talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal I cheered when Humphrey was chosen My faith in the system restored And I'm glad that the commies were thrown out From the AFL-CIO bar and I love Puerto Ricans and Negroes As long as they don't move next door So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal All the people of old Mississippi Should all hang their heads in shame Now I can't understand how their minds work What's the matter, don't they watch Last Crane? But if you ask me to bust my children, I hope the cops take down your name. So love me, love me, love me, I'm a liberal. Yes, I read New Republic and Nation. I've learned to take every view. You know, I've memorized Lerner and Golden. I feel like I'm almost a Jew. But when it comes to times like Korea, there's no one more red, white, and blue. So love me, love me, love me, I'm a liberal. I vote for the Democratic Party. They want the UN to be strong. I attend all the Pete Seeger concerts. He sure gets me singing those songs And I'll send all the money you ask for But don't ask me to come on along So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Sure, once I was young and impulsive I wore every conceivable pin even went to socialist meetings, learned all the old union hymns. Ah, but I've grown older and wiser, and that's why I'm turning you in. So love me, love me, love me, I'm a liberal. So that was, uh, that was Phil Ox, cho chosen by Sir Jaime. Um, who we've got here today, and uh, but we have to say goodbye to shortly. Thanks ever so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful to chat. And I'm glad you've seen Round Chapel. Yeah. I'm glad you like it. I do. I like it a lot. Well, I'll be back, I hope. Good. I very much hope so. <laughs> um, but yeah, one last poem would be great. Awesome. Okay, so this poem that I've chosen is it's called British Values. Um, just for a bit of context, um, for anyone who doesn't know, British Values whilst it's, they sound ancient, came about in 2015. Um, the government, as part of the government's counter-extremism policy, they uh, kind of came up with five British values. Um, I, I, revealing of my own status, I can't always remember what they all are, but they include something like, yeah, toleration, rule of law, uh, something else. And the idea behind this being linked to counter-extremism is that if you, the definition of extremism in the government uh, kind of papers is 
opposition to our British values. And so kids at school, if you've got any kids at school or if you go to school yourself, you'll you'll recognise, I think, that you've you've had to be taught British values at some level. Um, and so I think it's really interesting that that's seen as, you know, opposition to, to, to you know, that extremism and British values are seen as two opposing things. Um, and obviously certain people are seen to be needing to learn British values and others are just apparently born with them. So this poem starts off with a couple of real newspaper headlines and it goes like this. Young Muslims in Britain often straddle two worlds. They appear to have a foot in each culture. Concerns revealed around the national identification of Muslims in Britain. Review raises alarm over social integration in the schools to promote fundamental British values. The face of Britain is changing beyond recognition. I look in the mirror. It's not shattered. I am whole. No one foot in, one foot out. No reason I've got to learn Britishness from the somehow more devout. I'm not uneasy, torn or straddling. It's not shattered. I am whole. Yet the opposite is somehow all that you'll get told. I mean, I guess, because if it wasn't, if we faced up to the glass, you'd be left with the fact that I am inside. I am Britain now. Because Britain is Bismillah. Britain is Basmati rice. Britain is box braids and black barbers shops, Bollywood and Bungara. Britain is Bradford and Barking and Birmingham. Britain is biryani and black beans. Britain is black. Britain is brown. Britain is boys blasting dubstep on the bus to town. Britain is body popping outside the tube. Britain is Brick Lane before it was cool. Britain is bilingual. Britain is the burqa. Britain is praying in the changing rooms. Britain has its feet in your sink. Britain is bad at knowing itself, belligerent and boring. Britain has not changed beyond recognition. Recognise it was never one thing. I am the inside you pretend is outside, but we have to stop pretending. Pretending the rolling hills are just romantic, not remnants of injustices swept under a rug, like the tea didn't come from Asia, like its sugar wasn't grown by slaves, like dry humour isn't a way to just ridicule dissent and cues don't expose the way we're always told to wait for change rather than making it. And it's funny that over-apologising is seen as a national trait, because half of history is still waiting. I look in the mirror. It's not shattered, I am whole. There is no brink or turning point. I'm here. Britain is barbaric. Oh, sorry, did you think that was me? Barbaric bystander straddling the boundary. Not quite inside, so you could say I'm the things you forgot, like you're modern, so I'm backwards. You're democratic, so you say I'm not. When the truth is, Britain is blood on its hands and back to the wall. Britain is selling weapons to the most repressive regimes in the world. Britain is the bombs the Saudis drop on Yemen. Britain is using fear to build surveillance apparatus since 9-11. Britain is believing in human rights whilst removing them all. Britain is Yarlswood, Brook House, Colnbrook and Morton Hall. They're all immigration removal centres. Britain is 1,600 dead in or after police custody since 1990, and Britain has no qualms about detaining asylum seekers indefinitely. Britain is suicide attempts, secret courts and secret torture. Britain is stopping you at the border. Britain is seeing it, saying it, sorting it. Which means Britain is also deporting it. Because what else do you do when you look in the mirror and find? The sugar and tea had strings attached. The factories on the rolling hills depended on our labour. The bombs destroyed the homes of kids now at the border. Britain is barbaric. Britain is blindly patriotic. Britain is built on false narratives, slices of other people's dishes. Britain is stolen artefacts in museums named after itself. Britain is knife and fork polite, stabbing you at will. Britain is selective. Yours till it's not. In yours till it's not. Then blaming you. Britain is borders, Britain is Brexit, Britain is spending on weddings but not fireproofing homes. Britain is cutting mental health services yet somehow strong and stable. Britain is 50% of young people in custody being from ethnic minority backgrounds and Britain is blaming them for this statistic rather than asking difficult questions. Because Britain is blaming the kids who aren't white. Britain is blaming the Muslims. Britain is blaming the immigrants. Britain is blaming bureaucracy. Britain is not listening. Britain is not that great. Britain is breaking but breaking everywhere except the place it points the finger, because there's only a few things left that are great about Britain. And there that Britain is bismillah, basmati and bilingual, box braids and black barbers, shops, Bollywood and Bangara, body popping outside the tube, brick lane before it was cool, Britain is the burqa, Britain is praying in the changing rooms, Britain has its feet in your sink, Britain is your greatest nightmare, every repercussion you never thought through, Britain is the terror to be countered, Britain is the mind to be got inside. I am the great in Great Britain now, and aren't you terrified?
<laughs> Thank you very much. That's great. I really enjoyed that Thank as well. You. Um, and just one last question, Tom. Are you, are you still writing poetry? I am. I am. Uh, I do from time to time. I find it harder to write poetry these days. Mm. However, I am trying to get into... I've got a little bit of funding to write some prose poetry. I don't even know what that is yet. Who knows? So um, I think I'm just scared to try and write more poetry. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think um, I find it harder than I used to. I used to, I used to be, it used to be like a real instinct. Um, but now I feel, and maybe that just comes with, I don't know, something about time or something about kind of, you know, when you've set yourself a certain standard now and you kind of think, oh, if I don't get two million views on this poem, is it any good? You know, it's, it's silly. It's a silly sort of thing, isn't it? But, you know, I do, I do still. And I do think, I do still find poetry the the truest way of being able to express myself. Well, you're experimenting with other forms, but I'd be interested in knowing whether any poetry makes its way into your drama. Mm, not like, yeah, I think it does. I think, let me think, let me think. Do you know what? I, I think... Actually, when I think about it, the po the poetry, I think, informs kind of how I, you know, kind of what you were saying with the book, like the final paragraph. Like, I think it's less that there's poetry in, like, the drama, but I think that it's, I think the same things that move me or kind of the way that I see the world that kind of express through poetry, I think that's in there. But no, I think a lot of my plays are very, like, I, I maybe if you're a writer in general, you're somebody who enjoys observation, don't you? And I think that... I've always just, you know, loved kind of um, not not imitating people, but I think dialogue is such a fun thing and kind of copying how people speak and interact is such a fun thing. Um, but I, yeah, I'd like to bring more of the poetry in and I think maybe it's more about the way that I'm telling the story rather than having poetry specifically in the play. Great. Well, I shall be looking forward, not just looking for the poetry, but looking forward <laughs> to it, what you're writing Thank with The Playhouse you. and Beyond. So, yeah. Thanks ever so much for coming in today, as I say. And, uh, yeah, you've been listening to Love the Words with uh, Sohaima uh, Manzor Khan and Henry on the desk. Not he sounds great. <laughs> Thank you so much, both of you. And, uh, yeah, you can listen to this again uh, and wing it around to your friends. And we're back next week with an interview, a live interview again. Henry, actually next week a live interview with i'll add it to my diary <laughs> with uh <laughs> pennine platform who are a magazine based in south yorkshire so that's um we don't have any music because we've used up all our music but we'll have a jingle to finish off with love the nouns love the pronouns impersonal and personal. Love the words from ELFM. Quando eu canto e a chuva.